0: Well, good morning. My name is Ben. I'm the lead pastor here at Cora. And like Josh said just a few minutes ago, whether you're checking us out online or here in person for the very first time or back for your 100th time, we want you to know just how incredibly excited we are that you've chosen to join us as we embark on part two of this series that we're calling I'm In. And this series is designed to kickstart something in every single one of us, both personally and collectively, as we enter into this season in which we are coming out of our summer slumber, in which we are finding a new and normal routine, in which every single one of us find ourselves searching for something more. You see, what I know about myself and what I believe about you is this is that deep inside of every single one of us as humanity, there exists this desire for more, this desire for better, this desire to live a life of meaning and purpose, and this desire to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves, that's making this recognizable difference in the world around us. And you see, in every single one of us, within this desire we have to experience more and experience better and experience meaning and purpose and to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, this desire that no matter who you are, what you've come from, how young, how old you are, how driven you are, exists in every single one of us, it sets us on this course, this search to fill that void inside of us. And yet, what if I told you that filling that void of that desire that every single one of us have as humanity is dependent upon our courage to be able to muster up these two words. Amen. That by saying those two words in all lives, and all stories, and within our faith journey, it sets us on a course in which the direction of all lives can drastically change. The fulfillment that we experience day in and day out can be different. And that we can begin to realize this life that we were created to live. A rich and satisfying life that the creator of the universe, the one who created you and created me, desires for us to experience not on the other side of this life, but right here, right now, in all time on this earth. That finding more purpose and meaning in all life is dependent upon our ability to say, I'm in. And if that's true, what it means is this is that this entire series isn't about getting something from you, that this series is about something for you. This series is challenging every single one of us individually to something that could potentially change the impact that we have on the people around us from this day forward, could change the quality of all lives as we move into our futures. And ultimately... Position us to make the greatest impact possible on the people around us, to be able to live the life we've always dreamed of living. And if that's true, then what I believe with all of my heart is this, is that these four weeks are worth leaning into. Four weeks with four different opportunities for us to say I'm in that could alter the trajectory of our lives. That could change the course of our futures. And ultimately allow us to begin living both personally and collectively a story filled with influence, impact, and fulfillment. But in order for us to be people capable of saying, I'm in, we must start by understanding that each of us are invited to more. You see, this is what we started last week with, this concept that wherever you are, you are being invited to more. And so many of us look at our lives and our past, and our past is riddled with a story that goes something like this. That because of our mistakes and shortcomings, because of the hiccups that we've experienced in our past, we feel as if we will never be good enough. That there is no way that I could be invited to more, be invited to God's plan for not just my life, but for the world at large around me. Because there's no way I'll ever be worthy. And how could a perfect God possibly invite an imperfect me to be a part of something that's bigger than myself and making an impact in this world? And yet what we began to talk about last week was this concept is that we have a God who is in the business of inviting those that others reject. A God who is in the business of inviting you in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your shortcomings, whatever your past has looked like, whatever your present does look like. A God who is inviting you to more. But his invitation doesn't begin and end there. You see, his invitation is also extended to those of us who find ourselves in a season of life in which it feels like we've been doing this Jesus following this church thing for longer than we can remember and because of that we find ourselves in a place in which we've begun to believe that we're good enough we've done enough that we begin to play the comparison game you all know you've been there before and as you look down the aisle what you recognize is that you're doing more than the person beside you or the person down the aisle from you and because of that you've kind of arrived and you don't feel as if you need to do anymore or go any deeper And yet what we began to uncover last week is this, is that wherever you are, Jesus is inviting you to more, that there is a richer and more satisfying life that lies in wait to you going just one step deeper, taking one step further, saying I'm in and recognizing that you are invited to be a part of something that is incredible for your life personally and for our story collectively. But today, we progress to the second invitation or opportunity that every single one of us have to say I'm in. And this opportunity that we're talking about today may be one of the most important opportunities for us to say I'm in when it comes to our story. And yet what I also know is this is that while this may be one of the most important opportunities when it comes to our faith journeys, this is also the opportunity that becomes the hardest for us to believe. To believe that it's possible that that I could be invited and even needed to say I'm in. That I'm invaluable for the sake of the mission and the vision of the local church and the impact that is to be made on our city and in our world. And as we move through life, there are really three distinct reasons that rise to the surface time and time again in my story and in your story that convinces us that I'm not really needed to say I'm in. But we'll get to that in a second. You see, the truth that all of us must recognize in order for us to slide to the middle, to be a little bit deeper and to go in a little bit more, the the truth that we must begin to understand and buy into is this, is that no matter where you are, who you are, what your past looks like, how young, how old you are, what kind of skills you have, what you know about Jesus, just like we talked about last week that wherever you are, you're being invited to more, what you also must understand is that wherever you are you are valuable, is that you have value and worth assigned to you not by the world around you, but by the one who created you, a one who sees so much value and worth in you that he chose to talk about you individually in this way. He chose to assign this kind of value and worth to you even when you wander The one in a hundred kind of value and worth, the one in a million, one in a billion that you have value and worth that is unique to you. And we find this in an account written by a guy named Matthew, a guy who followed Jesus around for three years of his life as he walked on this earth and accounted what Jesus did within his ministry here on earth. As Matthew was following Jesus around one day, he began to hear Jesus tell this story about the worth and the value that's assigned to each and every one of us, even when we find ourselves lost. You see, this is what Matthew writes about what Jesus spoke to the crowds that applied not just to a people 2,000 years ago, but speaks directly into your story and mine, your worth and value and mine. Here is what Matthew writes. For if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? In the moments of all lives in which we feel as if we don't measure up, in which we feel as if we are less than, in which we feel as if we have wandered, that we've turned our backs again and we've lost our way again, that we have a God who runs after us, a God who comes after us when we are the lost one and is willing to leave the 99 because you have so much value and worth, a God who didn't stop at just that but also goes back to the way in which we were made to allow us to understand our value and our worth as well. In Psalm 139, he writes this, For I will give thanks to you Talking to God, because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Some translations say, for I am uniquely and wonderfully made. You see, there is this reality that you are unique, you are unlike anyone else, you are a masterpiece. And because of that, each one of us are valuable. But what we must understand is that we are not each individually valuable just because of who we are or how we were made. But we are also valuable because of the unique purpose that each of us have been given individually. You haven't just been made as a unique human being. You've also been given a unique purpose of what you can do in this life on this earth. You have been made to do something that no one else can do. Let me repeat that just in case that didn't click. You have been made to do something that no one else can do. But the problem that all of us experience is this is that the more amount of time we spend on this earth, the further we find ourselves getting from that truth. The cloudier that truth becomes in all lies and all stories. Because of the difficulties that we walk through, because of the mistakes that we made, we find it harder and harder to believe that I'm needed to be in for the sake of the world around me, for the sake of this collective movement. Really because of three distinct things. They consistently rise to the surface in my story, and I'm willing to bet that it rises to the surface in yours as well. Sometimes separately and sometimes all at once crashing in around us. For many of us, we find ourselves falling into the trap of believing that one of the reasons that I could never be needed to, to be in is because I'm not good enough. You see, we talked about this briefly last week, that there is this sense that exists in all of us as humanity when we look back at our mistakes and our missteps to begin to believe that, that I'm not good enough, that I don't measure up and I will never be good enough. But there's this second danger that exists, that when we begin to play this comparison game, what we begin to see is that there are a whole lot of people who seem to be a whole lot more fit than me to do this particular job or this particular role or to serve. Man, if you knew anything about me, if you knew about my past, there is no way that you would ever believe that I could be good enough. I have no significant skills. I'm too messed up. I'm too broken. There you are asking me to swing a hammer and work a power tool, and you know Ben Carver should never be in the vicinity of power tools. I'm not good enough to step forward and to do the task at hand. Or maybe for some of us, we find ourselves falling into the second reason, that they don't really need me. We walk into a place like this, and we begin to believe that that this church is big enough, and they have enough people, and there are enough people that it seems like there aren't really any holes that need to be filled. For the most part, things seem to be clicking and going as planned most of the weeks that we walk in here, and there is no way that they could possibly need me, and when I look around, they have people already in positions that seem a whole lot more skilled than I am, and so they couldn't possibly need me. Or maybe for some of us, it's the third reason. And if you buckle in for a second, the one that hurts, stings, just a little bit. We find ourselves believing that I'm not really needed to be in because I've got more important things. Ouch. We never say it, but it's so easy to live like it. There's a whole list of things within my job, within my calendar, within my kids' calendar, and everything I want them to do and have signed them up to do. I've got more important things to do with my time. That I can't really take time out of any of those things to give it to this. And ultimately, we find ourselves living like I've got more important things than my faith. And yet the problem with any of those three reasons is that the one who created us, the one who knows us best, and the one who wants what's best for us, has some things to say that speak to the contrary of those three reasons in every single one of our lives and in our stories. You see, a couple thousand years ago, A guy by the name of Paul that we talk about pretty frequently around here begins to outline one of those such ways in which God speaks to the contrary in all lives and in all stories to any of those three reasons, that I'm not good enough and they don't really need me and I've got more important things to do. And if you know nothing about Paul, Paul's backstory is so incredible. It provides such incredible hope to those of us, yes, myself included, who find ourselves with broken pasts, who find ourselves with imperfect stories. You see, Paul was born a Jew. And in being born a Jew around the time of Jesus, the Jews had consistently seen uprisings from people who claimed to be the Messiah, the Savior. And time after time proved not to be that. They were quickly stamped out. And because of that, the Jews believed that Jesus was just another one in the long line of false prophets or false messiahs. And their goal in Jesus and this movement was to stomp out this movement as quickly as they possibly could. And Paul, in being a Jew, and being an educated religious leader, made it his mission to be a part of that mission, to stomp out these Christ followers. So much so that Paul gave a majority of his early life to not just arresting and imprisoning these Christ followers, but also sentencing them to death, killing them, murdering Christians. Until one day Paul encountered the risen Jesus encountered a man who said he was gonna die and then come back to life and then he went off and did it and his life turned on a dime. Everything changed and this is the hopeful part, y'all. This is the hope that it speaks into my life and your life, our story of how we can be used and how our past doesn't disqualify us. This guy who had a past that looked like that of murdering Christians was a dude who was chosen to write the majority of the second half of God's instruction Manual for our lives. Isn't that incredible? That you are invited to more wherever you are, whatever you have come through. And yet, Paul, in writing one of these letters that we find in the second half of God's instruction manual to our lives, he writes a letter to the church in Corinth. And within one of these letters, he begins to paint a picture a picture of the importance of our willingness, our Willingness to be courageous enough to say, I'm in, I'm needed, to do what only I can do for the sake of my life and my story, but also for the sake of the world around us. And here is the picture that Paul chooses to paint. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12, he writes this. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is... With the body of Christ. You see, essentially, in this opening passage, Paul is setting the table for this reality in our story, both individually and collectively. That as a Christ follower, we are all different and unique. But each unique individual part is essential to make the unit whole, to make the unit function properly. To make the unit the very best that it can be in impacting the world around it, loving the world around it, serving the world around it to the very best of our abilities. Now, I know we have gotten really deep really fast, y'all, and this is hitting right to the heart. And so I thought this would be an appropriate time for us to pause, put the brakes on, and to have a little fun. Everybody up for a little bit of fun? You see, what we're going to do is I'm going to show you some pictures. And on these pictures, what you're going to find is a group of animals. And as you see this group of animals, you are most likely going to immediately know what these animals are called when they are an individual. But what we're going to attempt to discover collectively is whether or not you know what these animals are called when they form a group. If you're still lost, I promise you will catch on quickly. You all ready? All right, let's do this. Here we go. Number one, this animal that's behind me on the screen, one of them is called an elephant. That's right. But do y'all know that when one elephant becomes multiple elephants and they become a group, what is a group of elephants called? A herd. herd. That's right. Y'all are good. Now, this second one, I thought I'd start easy so that you guys can feel like you're winning at this. I said we were going to have fun. Winning is fun, right? This second one, if you've ever watched Lion King before, you should know this one to a T. You see here, an individual within this group is, obviously I just said it and so I won't ask you, it's called a lion. But do you all know what a group of lions is called? They are called a lion. A pride, that's right, you guys are good. Now this next one is probably my favorite because I think it is so absolutely fitting and appropriate for this group of animals. On the screen, this animal as an individual is called a rhino or rhinoceros, that's right. But does anybody know what a group of rhinos is called? Oh, y'all are gonna like this, this is good. A group of rhinos are classified as a crash of rhinos. Is there anything more fitting than that, y'all? These gargantuan animals that when forming one group as they stampede through, there is nothing better to classify them as one giant crash. Now this next one is a little scary. This next animal some of you have seen from power lines as you drive down the road or flying around the fall all over the place, you see one of these is called a a crow, that's right. But do y'all know this is why we have nothing to do with, with crows in our lives? Do you know what a group of crows is called? Aha! Some of y'all do know a group of crows is called a murder of crows. Y'all don't mess with anything that's classified as a murder when it forms a group together. Now, I wanted to do one more for y'all because I wanted to give you just a little bit of insight into Core Community Church. Some of y'all are new around here and still wondering what in the world is going on. And so I wanted to give you some insight into how some things function. You see, this next animal up on the screen in individual form is called A. A vulture, that's right. But do you know what a vulture forms when it becomes a group of vultures? A group of vultures is termed a committee. It's the reason why at Core Community Church we don't have hordes of committees circling the dead things and voting on everything, y'all. Yeah? You see, the reality is, is when we look at any group of animals, When they go from one individual, unique, valuable, worthy animal, but when they form a group, there is something that happens. Their identity drastically changes when they go from one unique individual to one group. And you see, here is where this collides with all lives, all stories, and us collectively. That you are valuable and unique. You have been created for a purpose that is unlike any other. But the truth is is that when one of us form a group we become one cohesive unit moving in the same direction. Our identity changes into something absolutely incredible. We become this unstoppable force in the world. We become something so drastically different and better when we link arms with one another and we are each willing to play our part, what we have been gifted to do, what we are willing to do For the greater good, for the good of not just ourselves or our organization, but for a city and a world that needs someone to stand in the gap for them. You see, when we as individual Christ followers or a Christian form a group, we don't merely become a plural form of Christian. We don't become Christians. No, Paul gives us a different definition of what we become, y'all. That when we become a part of the movement, offering what we have and only what we can do to a greater group, we become the body of Christ. Come on, y'all. This is how we become the unstoppable force that we were designed to be as the local church. We don't just become Christians. We become the body of the creator and sustainer of the universe, y'all. That is our purpose. That is what allows us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves that makes an unbelievable difference in the world around us. But without each part, the body is weakened. Why? Because every part of the body matters. Every part of the body matters. And Paul continues to allude to that as he furthers this comparison in this letter. In verse 14, he continues. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I am not a hand, That does not make it any less a part of the body. You see, there is this reality that exists inside of us as humanity, and it's this that we have this uncanny ability to assign value and worth to every single role in life. Am I right? That we have this ranking system that we come up with that tells us which one is more important and which one is less important. And if we just look at the head, for instance, when we think about the, the, the human or the English language, oftentimes what we find is just within the head, the eye gets all the credit, right? The apple of my eye, an eye for an eye. Every single thing is around the eye. They don't ever say the apple of my ear. And there is this tendency within all lives to look at that and for everyone to explain, well, I want to be the eye, I. I want to do that role. But if the ear says I want to be an eye, and there's no one there to hear it, does it really say anything of meaning? See, there is this reality that Paul is alluding to here that every part is significantly unique and it has been called to play its role. What only it can do. And the importance that you're assigning as humanity to those roles aren't the importance that the God of the universe gives those roles. Each one is equally as important to make the body function to the best of its ability. And then he continues. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. You know what Paul is saying? You were created on purpose. For a purpose. You were created on purpose for a purpose. You were made just as you are for a very specific reason. Stop trying to be someone or something that you're not, trying to be something that you have deemed more valuable. What you have been created to do is just as valuable as what anybody else is doing. And then I love this truth. He finishes it in such an incredible way. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. You see, in our attempt to assign value to everything, importance and worth to everything in all lives... When we simply look at our own human body, it is so easy for us to miss the significance of every single piece. The things that we deem least necessary in God's eyes are actually the most necessary. I mean, look at the human body and what we do with that. When we simply look at our hand and the digits of our hand, as we look down through our hand, we've assigned importance to every single digit of our hand. When we look at our thumb and a disposable thumb, it's like, that's what sets us apart and that's what makes us different. We can't say that the thumb isn't drastically important because that's what allows us to pick things up and grab things. That's what allows us to throw things. And then we look at our index finger and when that combined with our thumb and the The other finger allows us to hold writing utensils and it's furthered the communication system to be able to hold a writing utensil correctly and allows us to grip a baseball and to grip a football and to do things in our life that we would be unable to do without the index finger. And then we look at the middle finger and you want to talk about furthering the communication system in our lives. Our middle finger can assign value and worth to the people around us in a way no other digit can alright to laugh in church, y'all. And our ring finger. One of the most important relationships of our lives and the most important covenant that we enter into is symbolized through what we put on our ring finger. But then we make it to the end and we look at our pinky finger and it's like the smallest and the shortest and the skinniest. And really, coupled with the other fingers, it doesn't seem to do a whole lot, and there's not a whole lot of meaning and purpose that comes from the pinky finger. And yet, did you know that 50% of your hand's strength is derived from your pinky finger? 50% 50% of the strength that you have in your hand comes directly from your pinky finger. If you want stronger hands, y'all, you better start working out that pinky finger. If you were anything like me as a child, there's that dangly ball thing in the back of your mouth and you're like, I have no idea what that thing is for. Is it just in the way or what's going on with that dangly ball thing back there? And yet that dangly ball thing in the back of our mouth, it's actually called the uvula. Did you know that over the course of your life as a human being, your uvula will actually produce about two swimming pools full of saliva? Don't like dry mouth? You have your uvula to thank for that. You like to get your food down? You have your uvula to thank for that in your life. Armpit hair? Seems disgusting at face value, am I right? We can all agree to that. But guys, this is your opportunity to lean in here. It doesn't get better than this. Did you know that the armpit hair actually has the uncanny ability to diffuse odor coming from your body that makes you more attractive to a potential mate? Guys, if you are sitting beside someone of the opposite sex, you can thank your armpit hair because you don't stink as bad as you should stink. The things that seem least necessary in our lives actually carry significant, significant meaning and purpose. That when you feel as if you have nothing to offer, you have no idea what God wants to do in and through you for this world. The truth is you are valuable. But the real truth is that you are more than valuable. You are invaluable. Because you have a part to play that no one else can play. You have a difference to make that no one else can make. And you may just play a part in which you feel as if you never know if you're really making a difference. And let me just speak this over you. If you're playing a part in your life within the local church in which it feels like every other part is more important than you and you don't know if you're ever making a difference, let me just say this to you. Just because you don't know or see the difference that's being made does not lessen the impact that God is using you to make for the kingdom. Y'all okay? Just because you don't know or see the impact doesn't mean that God isn't using you to make an impact that you will never see. It doesn't lessen your importance, your value, your worth, and how invaluable you are. But if we choose to do nothing, the consequences are immense. See, just the other night, I woke up at about one in the morning with something that has probably happened frequently in the middle of your sleep as well. I woke up with a numbing, tingling pain running down my right arm. And it was one of those moments, right, where you found yourself laying on on that arm for too long and your arm has fallen asleep. And for some reason, like, you can't even use it to help you move, and so you're trying to use the rest of your body to get around. And by the time you get around and you're trying to get your arm to wake back up, right, it's like you pull it up. You see, essentially, in that moment, the arm has become paralyzed, and it's useless. It's incapable of doing anything in that moment. And yet what we've also recognized is this, is that in those moments where the arm has become paralyzed and useless, what happens to the other parts of the body? They all have to work harder in order to make up for that arm that has become useless and is doing nothing to assist. And you see, the only way for that arm to be able to live out what it was created to do is for that arm to wake up You see, somebody somewhere is waiting for you to do what only you can do to impact their lives and their eternities. And buckle in, y'all, sometimes it gets hard and messy. It's time to wake up, church. To know that you have been created for a purpose, on purpose, to do what only you can do, to make an impact that only can. You can make. You see, the church isn't a building we come to to have our needs met. The church is a building in which we collectively gather to give up our own preferences for the sake of somebody else's eternity, to meet their needs. That is what the local church was designed to be. That is the mission and the purpose that we have been given collectively. But as hard as we try, there are always these excuses that keep creeping into our minds. These excuses that keep us from saying, I'm in, to play the invaluable part that I was created to play. For some of us, we're grappling with this reality that if you just knew my past, if you knew my past and what I've come through and what I've done, There's no way that you could look at me and say I was invaluable, that I was needed, that you want me and need me as a part of this movement and this mission. And can I just say this, y'all? Your past does not disqualify you. It prepares you. Your past does not disqualify you from being needed and being a valuable, invaluable part of the body. It prepares you. Because when I look at my life, my past, the mistakes that I've made, what I quickly recognize when I get honest enough and look close enough is this. Is that my past helps me experience grace so that I can extend grace. It gives me a sense of empathy for others who are struggling and who have made mistakes. And the technical term, third, it teaches me stuff. That as we make mistakes, it teaches us things that prepare us better for what God is calling us to. Some of y'all know some of my history. And I've shared with you how easy it is for me to look back on my father being diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's and being gone by the time I was 21 years old and to have questions. But what I recognize is that in the midst of that pain and hurt and messiness that comes along with life on earth, that past was preparing me for something God was calling me to in the future. That I have an ability to empathize with people who are are going through hurt and struggles, who have parents that are gone way too early, that are dealing with loss in their life. Our past doesn't disqualify us, it prepares us. And you're like, oh, yeah, 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 but I'm going through a divorce right now, and everything I've ever heard and everything I've ever been shown about the church is that I'm not welcome here and I couldn't possibly have a part to play. Not here, y'all. That's not how we work around here. I can't speak for any other church, but that's not how Core Community Church operates. God still has a plan and a purpose for your present and your future that you are still needed. Or maybe you're thinking, I, I don't know what my part is. I don't even know where to start or what I'm being called to. And can I just say this, man? I get it. I know it- It's hard. To know where to start, that can be confusing and scary. It's hard to say, I'm in for the very first time. But what I also know is this you will never discover your part on the sidelines. We never discover our purpose always playing it safe. What would it look like just to try something? And I get it, too. That's hard, y'all, because for some of us, we've been burned by the church. We've been hurt by the church. We've served before, and we've been made to believe. We've been guilted into this belief that when I sign, I'm signing with blood on the dotted line for the rest of my life, and there ain't no getting out of that with a whole lot of guilt heaped onto it. Y'all, that ain't how it works around here. When we say we want something for you, not something from you, that means just try something. And if you don't like it, guess what? We'll help you find something else to try and something else to try and something else to try until you can find your unique part in which you feel like this is what I've been gifted to do. This is the difference I can make. This is what I can offer to the movement to make an impact in the world around us. And let me just say this. Comfort is always the enemy of growth or maybe for you, the one that rises to the surface is, man, when I look around, it's really easy to believe that my presence isn't all that valuable. We got two services like this. Over 300 people that call Core Community Church home. When I walk in, it seems like all the serving roles are filled. It seems like everything's functioning the way that it should. My presence can't possibly be that important. Not even just to serve, but just to be here on a week, and they won't even notice if I'm gone. About 14 years ago, within my family, the family dynamic changed. My brother, my oldest brother, moved him and his family to South Carolina from here for a job opportunity. Every single weekend, my brother's probably watching and listening right now. He tunes in on the live stream. What I'm about to say may sting just a little bit, and I promise that's not the intention. It's just the truth. Over those 14 years, what I've recognized is that as hard as we try to just go about our business and act as if everything is normal at family gatherings and at holidays, what I recognize is that over the course of the last 14 years, things have not been the same. Because when one part of the family is missing, the family is not ever fully complete, My wife's family just keeps multiplying and growing. Kids just keep showing up, and you know, there's son-in-laws, and then there's grandkids that come into the picture. Every Sunday afternoon we get together. And yet, what's so incredible is that like when one grandkid is missing, or one son-in-law, or one daughter is missing, the dynamics just seem different. Because one part matters. And don't ever believe that when you're not here on a weekend, it doesn't matter. Your presence is valuable. And without you, the dynamic changes around here. We aren't as good as what we are called to be. We aren't a complete body without you, without you being here and being a part of this with us, without you saying, I'm in. Not for the sake of our own preferences, for the sake of somebody else's eternity. But when we're willing individually and collectively to recognize that you are invaluable to the cause and to the impact. What's possible? This is what's possible. Right now, within our city, just our city, and let me say this briefly to not scare you, we have a vision that's bigger than just our city. But within our city, there are 7,000 people who don't know Jesus. Jesus. What's possible? What if one of them is waiting for you to be courageous enough to say, I'm in, and invite them? What if one of them is waiting for you to do what only you can do and invest in them? What if one of them is waiting for you to serve them in a community impact initiative like Stand for Shelby or Adopt a Block? What's possible? What if there's one more kid or one more group of kids that is waiting to feel as if God loves them and they're not alone in one of the poorest neighborhoods in the world because you're willing to say, I'm in and go on a global impact trip? What's possible? What if somebody right here in our city who had never darkened the door of a church where they presently are chooses to walk into the dream center because it's not a church and experiences the love of Jesus through you because you serve, not by what you say or even speaking his name, but because of the way in which you love them and serve them right where you are, that their lives are being changed because you're willing to say, I'm in. Just a few weeks ago, we did an adopt-a-block that some of y'all were a part of, and literally all we did was we walked through the neighborhood, over 300 households or around 300 households, around the Dream Center, and we just po- passed out popsicles to people, boxes of popsicle for the summertime, and just said, happy summer. We just wanted you to know we love you and that we wanted to be great neighbors, and so here you go, have a great summer. And within that, one of the houses that we've stopped at frequently, and we've begun to, to really strike up a relationship, there was an older lady there, And the same young woman showed up at the door and passed some popsicles through the door. And this lady, because of the relationship that had been created by someone saying, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. I'm willing to give up my own preferences, what's comfortable for the sake of somebody else. She said, honey, would you come in for a second? And she said, I recently broke my arm and I have nobody. And this last time, I was in the bathroom, and I couldn't get my pants up, and so I've been here for hours. Would you just help me get my britches up? And as they sat there and talked, she says, and I have nobody, and with a broken arm, an elderly, I I can't bathe myself anymore. I have nobody to help me get in and get out of the shower. This young girl said, well, how about this? Here's my number. Why don't we connect, and I'll come back, and I'll help you bathe, and I'll help you wash yourself, and I'll help you get in and out of the shower when you need to. Another woman, as we passed out popsicles, she began to share her story that her husband had passed away. And now here she was alone, and she really didn't have any kids, and she finds herself just doing life by herself every single day. And the girl that walked up to her door the next Friday in their conversation, she talked about how because she's alone and she can't really drive, she can't get around, that it's been ages since she's had a cheeseburger from Paul's. And she went and she ordered Paul's and on a Friday afternoon, she went over to this lady's house and just sat at her table and had Paul's with her. What's possible? You have no idea what sits on the other side of I'm in, of what God wants to do in and through you in unexplainable ways. You've spent enough time being the arm that's fallen asleep. It's time to say I'm in. It's time to make a difference. It's time to become the invaluable piece that you were created to be. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, God, we thank you that when you look at us, you see value and worth. I look at my past, see a whole lot of mistakes and missteps, and yet you still look at me and still see the same person who is uniquely and wonderfully made in your hands, in your image, still see someone who is made on purpose, for a purpose, you have exactly where you want for such a time as this. So God, in light of that, what else can we pray for except for courage? You've invited us to more. You've deemed us invaluable. You've set the groundwork that the body isn't the same without each of us playing our part. And so God, on this day, may we be courageous enough to shift from just a Christian, just a Christ follower, to the body that is an unstoppable force, and to be willing to do what only we can do, to make a difference that only we can make. We thank you for that opportunity, for inviting us to be a part of something bigger than ourselves when you didn't have to. It's in your name that we pray.